0: Join with me in Nehemiah chapter 13, uh, if you will, tonight. We're in the final chapter of the book of Nehemiah. And uh, what an incredible uh, journey we've been on as we've looked at Nehemiah and just his faith in the Lord as he has walked by faith and and just watched God do amazing things uh, in this ministry. And so as we we think about Nehemiah, uh, we want to say that, you know, it ended on a good note. But let me just say the second law of thermodynamics states that in a closed system, things move toward the maximum state of entropy or disorder. This physical law also has a spiritual application because even among God's people, unless we are constantly fighting against it, things tend toward the maximum state of just spiritual entropy. And so we live in a spiritually and morally permissive society today, and unless we are constantly waging war against the flesh, we tend to become more and more like the spiritual degeneracy around us. Matter of fact, I want to share with you some statistics here. In 2013, these are some statistics from the Global Pastors Network, and it stated that each month 1,500 pastors leave the ministry due to moral failure. Now, granted, this was not recent. This was seven and eight, eight years ago. Moral failure, spiritual burnout, or contention in churches, they leave the ministry. 1,500 pastors every month. 50% of pastors' marriages will end in divorce. 75% of pastors constantly fight depression. And almost 40% report that they have had an extramarital affair since beginning their ministry. Can you fathom these statistics? Listen, even if only half those numbers are true, it's no wonder that the American church today is not making more of a significant impact in our world. And Think about, with me, the changes in American culture. Look at this next one. Do you remember these days? Yeah, the good old days. What does that show? The Ozzie and Harriet show. Now, this example, Ozzie and Harriet, they were married, Ozzie and Harriet, and in real life. But in the show, they slept in separate beds. But now as a parent, let me just say, we don't watch regular TV. We watch The Rifleman today. (laughs) We watch something with some moral qualities that we can be careful of and, and, and guard our children's life because this is not the norm anymore. The, cultural, uh, the culture has slid so far, even in the last 50 years, the last 60 years since my childhood, and the last 37 years I've seen just how quickly it has slid. And listen, if we don't think that this has damaged the church, we're blind. And so it's important for us to recognize that, that uh, God has called us here to remain vigilant. This slide into moral tolerance is not a recent problem, though. Uh, Nehemiah faced it as well in his ministry, and that's where we pick up the story in Nehemiah 13. He had taken a leave from his position uh, as a cupbearer to Artaxerxes to go to Jerusalem and to build the wall. And we saw the walls build in record time. And once the walls were up, God used Nehemiah and Ezra to lead the people into spiritual renewal. What a glorious time that was. And in chapter 10, the people signed a spiritual covenant agreeing to obey God's law as it applied both personally and to the corporate worship. We've seen these things. We saw great spiritual renewal in chapter number 10. And the climax of the book, if we will, is found in chapter 12 and verse 43. So look there with me. Uh, it'll be on the screen, but you can look in your Bibles and be encouraged that way too. It says, also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. Wouldn't it be nice if the book just ended right there? Thank you. You know, If it just ended ended with, and they lived happily ever after, but real life isn't like that. And I'm thankful that even even God was willing to write down and to share with us the truth of what happens next in this story. Because after 12 years as governor, Nehemiah had to return to Persia, and we don't know how long he was there, but during his absence, we see this spiritual tolerance and decline set in. And so as we look in chapter number 13, we're going to read through this chapter together. And, and, and so as we look here, we're going to see some things, some problem areas that arose and what Nehemiah did to, to deal with it. Uh, because uh, although we don't know exactly some of the time frames in this, like for verse 3 to verse 4, but we, we realize that those reforms that he instituted in, verse, in chapter number 10 were probably short-lived because spiritual compromise snuck in through leadership, And then when Nehemiah returned, he found that this this tolerance was rampant in the very areas the people had covenanted to stand against just a few years before. So as Nehemiah approaches this, we want to see his response because to deal with this kind of spiritual tolerance, we must be aware and we must be willing to confront it. And so let's look in verse number 1 there. On that day they read in the book of Moses, in the audience of the people, And therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because they met not with the children of Israel with bread, with water, but hired Balaam against them. And he should curse them, howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. And before this, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber, where aforetime they laid meat, of, uh, meat offerings, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of the corn, and the new wine, and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites, and to the singers, and the reporters, uh, and the porters, excuse me, not reporters, and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem, for in the two and thirtieth year of our exercises, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded and they cleansed the chambers. And hither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with a meat offering and the frankincense. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them for the Levites and singers that did the work where fled every one to his field. Then I contended, then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and, and the oil unto the treasuries. And I made treasurers over the treasuries uh, Shelemiah the priest, and, Sh- and Zadok the scribe, and the Levites, and Pedadiah. And the next to them was Hana the son of Zachar. And the son of Madaniah, for they were counted faithful, and their office was to distribute unto the brethren. Remember me, O my God, concerning this. Wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. In those days saw I and Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves and lading asses also, as also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens, which they brought in to eat Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, and I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah, and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do, and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet you bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I at the gates that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If you do it so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. Amen. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves, and that they should come and keep the gates, and to sanctify the Sabbath day, Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy." In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Amnon and of Moab, and their children spake in half-speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I uh, contended with them and cursed them, and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves." Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God and made God, him, uh, and God made him a king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of uh, Joedah, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the horn Therefore, I chased him from me. <laughs> I love Nehemiah. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, every one in his business, and for the wood offering at times appointed, And for the first fruits, remember me, O my God, for good. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, man of God, a man who is willing to stand against those things that would destroy and hurt your name. And God, may we, as your people here tonight, be willing to humble ourselves before you and find strength to do the same. Strength to remain standing in a time where people scream tolerance but really what they're demanding is for us to bow before their God. And so may we stand here this evening with you. And so, God, would you encourage our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no doubt in my, li- my mind that we have heard the word tolerance taken out of context and used in ways that God never intended. And we're, we're constantly told, you must be tolerant, you must be tolerant. And at the same time, we're, you're belittled. And anybody who claims the name of Christ is, is tried to, they're trying to run us out of the city. So what do we do? And I'm thankful here in the book of Nehemiah chapter 13 that we find a place where the people of Israel uh, are real. I, I love it when God gives us a glimpse into people's lives that are real. The, the man David is one of my favorites just because he was such a real guy. But here in the book of Nehemiah, we see this tremendous story. They rebuild this wall in 52 days. They have this great time of spiritual renewal. And then humanity comes out in chapter number 13. And this is where we're at. And this is, as a church, I believe this is an integral part of us going forward as well. That we must be willing to guard against spiritual tolerance. Guard against this apathy or this complacency in our life. And so what do we do? First off, we must be aware of some problem areas that arise. So, the first question comes why didn't others deal with these problem areas? For one, Ezra may have already died by now. Uh, In chapter 13, we see that Zadok is called the scribe. Uh, And so, perhaps indicating that Ezra no longer held that post. Maybe the other leaders just didn't see the problems to the degree that Nehemiah did. You know, missionaries—they often see things from a different perspective. They've been gone for the United States for a few years, and they come back and they're shocked at the moral decline of what they see when they return. Whereas those of us who live here, we get accustomed to it because it's not a—it's not a big jump. It's little bitty steps that Satan takes us down this moral decline. And so we don't—we're not always familiar with it. How do you boil a, a live frog? Well, you put him in cold water and heat the water up slowly. Well, that's what Satan is trying to do to our culture. And so we see here that Ezra is trying to encourage, or excuse me, Nehemiah is is seeing what has gone on. He's been gone for a time, and now he comes back, and he sees this moral decline that had set in. And the people had listened to the reading of the Scripture. They were aware of God's standards, and they'd even made covenants. And he says, what happened to the spiritual renewal you had back in chapter 10? Remember, as soon as we start the chapter in verse number 1, It says, On that day, they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. And so we see this uh, laid out in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 5, because God declared that no Ammonite or Moabite should enter into the assembly of Israel because of the way those nations had treated Israel. It says, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their 10th generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever? Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against thee Balaam son of Beor of Pithor of Mesopotamia to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. Well, you may think, listen to that. Well, that's not very loving or very fair. I thought God is a God of love. That's penalizing people for what their ancestors did. But the Bible is clearly teaching that God owes us nothing. Amen. You know what, God, what I deserve from God? Hell. Hell. That's all any of us deserve. And so He would be perfectly just and fair to send every one of us straight to hell. But He has chosen to pour out His love and His grace upon all men. And we see that uh, through Christ's death on the cross. But the reason He didn't want Israel accepting these foreigners into their midst was they had a propensity to corrupt Israel from following the Lord alone. This is... The council, listen to the count, verse number 2, because they met not the children of Israel with bread, with water, but hired Balaam against them. This council of Balaam, they wanted to curse. And I just It's an interesting study if you want to go back and read that in your Bible because just as the children of Israel were complaining and being bitter against God, God spares them. It's a tremendous story of God's grace in the midst of it all and a, and a, a beautiful thing. But the same thing happened in King Solomon's life. Remember, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and most of them were foreign wives, and they led him into idolatry. And so even Nehemiah mentions it here in verse number 26. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God. And so we know that Solomon even had this same problem. They would run into this, they would disobey the Lord, and it's important to note that repentant Moabites, though, like Ruth were not only accepted into Israel, but they were included in the genealogy of Christ. But those who would not give up their foreign gods, those are the ones that God said, do not let them in. They had to be excluded. Why? Because they, we, once we allow them in, they, become, they, they begin to destroy from the inside out. And so something, uh, sometime during Nehemiah's absence, we see that Scripture had been neglected. The covenants that they had made had been forgotten. And when Satan wormed his way into, into their lives, we see there was four areas in which they began to slip. Listen, the only way we will detect spiritual uh, tolerance and when we allow things to begin to slide in our life is when uh, is, and the only way to prevent that is being steeped in the Word of God. We must follow God's Word. First and foremost, let me just share with you one of the first four ways was theological tolerance grew out of wrong relationships. Verse 4, look there with me. And before this, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of God, was allied unto Tobiah. The temple, if, if you remember, contained some storage rooms that were used for grain offerings, that were used for utensils, tithes of the people. They would store these here. And while Nehemiah was gone, Eliashib the priest had cleared out one of these large rooms and one or more of the smaller rooms so that Tobiah the Ammonite could set up an apartment here. Now remember, he's not even allowed into this place, but yet because of Eliashib's alliance with him, he allowed him into the temple. Tobiah was a mocker. He was one that had opposed Nehemiah. Just look in your Bibles with you, with me in Nehemiah chapter two, and verse number ten. He he was mocking uh, Nehemiah's efforts to uh, to rebuild this wall. It says, when Sambulite the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, uh, the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was a man come to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Verse number nineteen in the same chapter. But when Sambalite the the Hornanite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that you do Will you rebel against the king? Now look over in chapter 4 and verse 3 as we continue to see the character of this man Tobiah. It says, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which was built, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. In verse number 7 and 8, it says, But it came to pass that when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, and the breaches began to be stopped, that they were very wroth, and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. He said, Tobiah was not a man that... Eliashib should have been aligning himself with at this time. He had made, uh, and Eliashib, as a result, had made uh, connections with him, and Tobiah had made connections with the Jews and persuaded them that he was a good man. But meanwhile, he had sent threatening letters even to Nehemiah in chapter 6. But here he is setting up his personal residence in the temple. So, what in the world is going on? Why would the high priest allow such a thing? And so, there were probably a couple of factors that were going on. In chapter 13 and verse number 4, was one, probably, that uh, the high priest and Tobiah were related through marriage. Another factor was that Tobiah had a Jewish name, which meant God is good, so maybe he wasn't totally Ammonite, maybe just partially. And so, have you ever noticed it's always more difficult to draw the line against a good person who's just mixed up on some things than against an outwardly wicked person who is spouting blasphemy? You know, it's really tough to side with a strict commandment on God's word, such as excluding all Ammonites from the assembly of Israel when your relative is an Ammonite. Let me put this in modern terms if I could. It's tough to insist that Jesus is the only way of salvation if you have family who's, who doesn't believe that. Maybe Roman Catholic or maybe they're Mormon or maybe there's something different. And they have so many different ways to heaven. It's really tough to share with family the truth of Christ. I mean, after all, we have a lot in common. We're relatives. And so we begin to let, the, let it slide just a little bit. Listen, this theological tolerance creeps in through the door of relationships with those who maybe are partly right, but probably partly very much wrong. If you want to know where you're going to be in the next ten years, look at the books you read and the people You keep. Wrong friendships can seriously damage us spiritually. Paul told Timothy concerning those who hold to a form of godliness but deny the power to avoid them or turn away from them. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, Having a form of godliness but denying the power of, he says, from such turn away. This is very important for us as adults to practice, but also for parents to teach our children. It's called discernment. It's been being willing to discern who I should and who I shouldn't allow to dominate my time and influence my life. But there was another factor going on here too in verse number 10 as we look here. And this was a financial tolerance. So we see first the theological slipping and the financial slipping. It says, and I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled everyone to his field. So this problem was connected to the first problem. Spiritual problems seldom ever occur in isolation. A lot of times they're connected to other things in our life too. And because the high priest had moved Tobiah into the temple, well, there weren't enough storerooms for the tithes. So... The priests had not required the people to bring in their tithes, and as a result, the Levites had had to go to work in their fields to support their family, and they neglected their temple duties. And so all of this, and if it had let go on, they would have been in the same sp- place spiritually as they were when Nehemiah came on the scene to start with. You see, when we slide in one area, we often slide in others. One of the major indicators of the heart and its tenderness toward God is found in our finances And when we start looking for ways to give less, or maybe find, uh, you know, it's not as joyful as it used to be, we stop, and maybe we, maybe we ought to just stop and just say, God, search me, try me. What has changed in my life to destroy the once I had, uh, the love I once had for you? Inevitably, spiritual tolerance has a negative effect on our giving. The prophet Malachi was ministering at this time and he confronted the people for robbing God by not bringing their tithes into the storehouse Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 10 it says, "Will a man rob God yet ye have robbed me but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings you're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So bring you there, and bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Listen, if I don't want to miss out on the blessings of God. Man, and God has blessed so abundantly in our life. And I was just reflecting on some of the blessings that God has given me and given us and our family. And I cannot help but think that it's been because we've chosen we're never going to let this slip in our life. I want to be faithful to God even in this. But then there was another area. So the third area that had slipped was that of tolerance on the Sabbath. In those days, he says in verse 15, I saw Judah... In Judah, some treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves, and lading asses also, as also wine, grapes, figs, and all manner of burdens, which they brought in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, and I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. So even though the people had agreed in their covenant with God to keep the Sabbath, in chapter ten of verse thirty-one. It says, and if the people of the land bring ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. And so this was part of their covenant they made with God. They said, listen, we're not going to, to break this law of the Sabbath. Yet we see here that they quickly fell into doing business on that day. Some merchants from Tyre, maybe who had had no scruples about the Sabbath, were doing a brisk business. They were selling imported fish, maybe merchandise into the city that day. And some Jews thought, man, if they're doing it, why can't I? No doubt that that he comes up with excuses. We come up with excuses for all kinds of things so we don't hurt our conscience as bad. Maybe it was, if I don't tread my grapes that day, then they will rot. Or maybe everyone else is doing business then. (laughs) Hey, man, doesn't that was something our teenagers say? All those imported fish will just rot and go to waste. If we don't buy them, it wouldn't be it would be right to waste that good food. You know, on and on. We come up with all kinds of excuses, don't we? Listen, we're not under strict Sabbath laws of Israel. We don't have to meet on the Sabbath, as as, as he says, but we are still under the New Testament principle of honoring the Lord's Day and keeping it holy. And so, like those religious Jews, it's easy to make up excuses of why we put business or maybe the pursuit of pleasure ahead of our worship. You know, uh, someone once said, I'd like to spend time with God alone every day, but I've got to work long hours. When I get home, I'm just tired, I'm exhausted, I need some downtime in front of the tube to relax. Or maybe I'd like to go to church more often, but Sunday is my only day to sleep in. Listen, when we allow God to we, we allow God to take the second place, and we begin to allow things to slide in our life. It affects our attendance and our love for the house of God. Amen. Let's guard against those things. But then there was tolerance in their homes. In verse 23 through 29, he talks about this tolerance that slipped in, in their home. Ezra had corrected this problem just years before, and it, says in, and it says in verse 23, In those days also I saw Jews that had married wives of Ashdod... Of Amnon and of Moab. And their children spake in half the half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. Listen, Ezra had dealt with this previously. If you look at the end of the book of Ezra, we see that there, and during the time of this renewal, the people had made a covenant that they would not intermarry. Look in verse number thirty. It says, it says there, and that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. But now in Nehemiah 13, he discovers that some of the Jews had married foreign women, and their children didn't even speak Hebrew, which meant that they couldn't read the Scriptures, they couldn't understand the Scriptures when they were read. We need to understand that, that marrying an unbeliever doesn't only affect us, but it affects our children and our children's children. That is why the New Testament principle of not being uh, yoked up with unbelievers is so important for us to recognize It's still vital for us today because it has a negative impact on our children. That A lot of times when people are, are yoked up with an unbeliever, a, believer, a Christian lady says, Man, I think if I, if I marry this man, he'll come to Christ. I think it's my Christian duty to marry him. And they think, man, it'll just, it'll just get better as we go along. And maybe he'll get saved and, and things will get so much better. But that, that rarely happens. Most of the time what happens is he brings her down. Most of the time what happens is the kids know nothing about God. The grandchildren are even further out. Samson learned this lesson, didn't he? He lusted after strange women... Uh, or foreign women, and he knew personally the downfall that they caused in his life. Delilah was the one that brought him grief through through her betrayal. But it wasn't just Samson, it wasn't just the people of Israel, it can even be us today. And there's no more vulnerable area in our life than the emotional attachments that we form with, with those of the opposite sex. I think about my wife and how vulnerable we are together in our life, and I'm thankful that we're of one mind we both love the Lord. We both want to keep Him uh, preeminent in all things. Amen. And if that wasn't the case, it would cause a lot of tension and problems in our marriage. So let me just encourage you, especially if you're a young person, man, looking, you're a teenager, you're looking to get married sometime, guys are uh, like, I don't even have a clue, the girls have already got all their guys picked out, and kids', na- kids names married, uh, you know, picked out, and the, what the wedding's going to look like. Can I get a witness name amen to that? The young ladies are like, be quiet, preacher. Listen, the guys are clueless in this, those things uh, until it's too late, and then she's already got her hooks in him. You know, sometimes we think, well, if I, just, if I marry that girl, you know, then, man, I can, I can help her. She's a nice girl. She's, she's a good person. She's got good morals. But listen, if you marry someone who's an unbeliever, your kids are going to be unbelievers. Moral tolerance is like, uh, just has a way of just destroying our families, destroying our love for the Word of God, our love for truth. It has a way of destroying our love for giving to the Lord and being faithful to those things. It has a way of destroying these areas in our life. And so, what do we do when I uh, just, what do we do in these situations? And I want to look at Nehemiah's response very quickly as we close this evening. But basically, he boldly confronted each problem. As we re- read through, it was amazing his response in some of these. He plucked their hair out. <laughs> Evidently, Brother Ricky's had Nehemiah. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, I mean, what kind of response is that? I mean, that's pretty severe. You, you thought J. Frank Norris was bad back in the, in the 40s, amen, BBFI guys. I don't remember him pulling any hair out back then. But what he did was he said, listen, we cannot stand for this. And he called it what it was. He said, this is evil. And some criticized Nia for not being more tactful and polite. But I believe that God used him to be able to speak boldly to the people during that time. You know, think about it like this. If I saw you about to drink a bottle of poison and I just stuck my hands in my pocket and I thought, well, I wouldn't do that if I was you and I just kept my mouth quiet, what is, is that a loving response? Now, if I was to take and slap your hand and knock that bottle out of your hand and knock it across the room, is that a loving response? Absolutely. And that's what Nehemiah does. He says, listen, I am not going to let you drink this poison that would destroy your life. And so literally the word that he used in chapter 13 and verse 14, remember me, O my God, concerning this and wipe not my good deeds is the word Hesed, which means loyalty and loyal deeds. And it, is, it was his love, his God's loyal love for his people that was displayed as Nehemiah was willing to confront these areas. And so first and foremost, he discovered the problem. That should, should be a no-brainer. Amen? That should be obvious that he recognized there was a problem. He found out what was going on. But if it was so obvious, why didn't the other leaders in Israel perceive that it was there and they didn't deal with it? Nehemiah saw what others didn't see. And so... As we see this in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 7, it says, And I came to Israel and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of his God. And so Nehemiah didn't refer to it as creative, alternative for using storage rooms. He called it evil. That wasn't a popular word to apply to the high priest. I'm just saying. But Nehemiah didn't tone it down. Look at verse number 10. We're gonna look at a couple of these verses together in your Bible. He says, And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled everyone to this field. And I contended with the rulers, and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Verse number 15. He saw the violation on the Sabbath. In verse 23, he saw the Jews had married foreign women. In every case, he observed what was happening, and he said, Listen, we've got to stop it. This is not going to work. Uh, this is not going forward. The second thing he did was he let it affect him. He got upset about it. Literally, he was very displeased about Tobiah's temple apartment. Imagine this. He went in there, saw what was happening, and immediately he began to clean house. Man, he, he wasn't going to, well, I wish they hadn't have done that. But he went into that room and he began to take these things and he just began to toss it out. Could you imagine being Tobiah? Coming back after a journey, come, walking in and seeing all your, your underwear on the, on the temple ground outside. Like, what in the world is going on here? Man, that would be an, an unusual circumstance. But Nehemiah's explosion was, uh, was characteristic of, of just, a, just God working in his life. Think about this. Even Jesus Christ used, uh, used this, this moment of, uh, in, as he cleansed the temples to use that righteous indignation to deliver the people from their sin. Listen, this is an area that we've got to be careful because we can easily use it to justify sinful anger and call it righteous. When we see sins or false teachings that are damaging God's people, it is wrong not to be angry. To be complacent in the face of of such evil is not to be like Jesus. And so let us be like Christ. Let us be willing to stand for truth. Let us be willing to allow it to affect us. And then he didn't just let him get him upset, but he took action against it. He didn't say, well, this makes me sad. And he goes back and he reads his newspaper. But instead, he met it uh, head on. And so he personally threw Tobias' uh, household stuff out. and uh, And then we see... With regard to the tithes, Nehemiah not only reprimanded the officials, but he also restored them to their posts and appointed faithful men to oversee the collection. Or with the Sabbath problem, he commanded that the doors be shut and locked on the Sabbath. Uh, on the Sabbath. Imagine this, being a guy who's got this fresh fish, and he, and he pulls up into the, on the Sabbath to sell these fish in Jerusalem, and uh, the stink is beginning to come. Amen? And he has to sit there for over a day while his fish spoil. Listen, he stationed men there and said, listen, you don't let anybody in. He said his own men there, many could trust, and said, you don't open these doors for anyone. It's the Sabbath and we're going to honor it. And then with regard to mixed marriages, he not only strongly contended with those who were guilty, but when he found out that one of the grandsons of the high priest had married the daughter of Sambalat, he ran them out of the city. Listen. What an incredible way to stand against sin. But before we confront anyone in their sin, we need to check our flesh and make sure our motives are pure before God and allow God to work through us instead of in our flesh. And we see this in his life, and I'll point that out in just a moment as we do. But listen, think about a couple of things when God used some, some men. Obviously, Jesus Christ, as He pronounced the woes of the Pharisees and called them hypocrites, blind guides, and whitewashed tombs. Then there was Paul, who told uh, Elias, the magician, that he was full of deceit and fraud. He says in Acts chapter 13, verses 9-11... through 11, then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a midst and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Sometimes sin demands a strong, direct confrontation. But in everything he did, he was accountable to and aware of God. Look with me in verse 14. He says, remember me, O my God. What's he doing, church? Praying, that's right. Remember me, O my God, concerning this. Wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. Verse number 22 with me. Look there with me. At the very end of the verse, and he says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. Chapter 29, or verse 29 again, says, Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. And then chapter, verse number 31. He ends, Remember me, O my God. We're good. Listen, he wasn't there trying to take this action in his own flesh. He wanted God to get the glory in it all. I'm so thankful that Nehemiah was willing to say, God, I want you to direct me. I want you to lead me. We saw this earlier. In Remember in the very beginning when we started to look at the book of Nehemiah Nehemiah was willing to come before the Lord, and he sought the Lord. And we saw little snippets of prayer, and we saw Nehemiah with a tremendous prayer life, and that has not ceased or abated. He has continued even here to persevere in prayer. He wasn't a typical politician trying to just placate both sides. He was instead desiring to give uh, give God glory and please the Lord in all of his life. And because Nehemiah's Godward focus. And this kind of focus is essential if we want to confront this kind of tolerance in our lives. If we lose it, we become self-righteous. We become maybe moral crusaders, legalistic, who look down on those who are blinded by their sin. And so let us, with the grace of God, with the Spirit of God, confront sin in the power of God. This may be a sad conclusion to the story of Nehemiah. But it's a powerful reminder that no matter how hard the battle is fought for victory, without vigilance, any one of us can slip back into spiritual complacency. Any one of us can allow sin back into our lives and be worse off than when we began. The children of Israel committed to God, but many were quick to forget these commitments. You ever ever made a vow to God? You ever made a commitment to God and maybe it got forgot somewhere along the way? Well, tonight I want to remind you back to the, call you back to those things, just as Nehemiah did. Listen, Israel, Israel needed that Nehemiah. They needed his reminder. They needed someone to come and say, Listen, it's time for you to get your lives right. It's time for you to get sin out of this place. It's time to put God first in everything. And before we ever worry about others, though, we've got to deal with ourselves. As you read God's Word, ask yourself, Where have you slipped in areas and in ways of, in your life? Have you allowed some of the godless culture to influence you? As you deal with yourself, I encourage husbands, I encourage fathers tonight to live godly lives that are willing to lead and correct your family. When we hear of a spiritual warning from, from the pastor. And that's what this is tonight, is just a warning right here at the end of Nehemiah, a warning for all of us that, listen, as we rebuild, as we go forward, as we trust God, that we must also recognize that, that we must continually fight against these things that would cause us to slip back into sin, to slip back into apathy, and slip in, love, where we slip into complacency, and may we continue to desire to fight the good fights until the Lord calls us home. This is a perpetual problem. Like Nehemiah, we must detect it by God's word, and we must confront it if one day we want to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant.